Welcome back to Weird Careers. I'm Eric. And I'm Danny. All over the world, people have jobs. And some of those jobs we don't even know exist. There are professions that we don't know much about. And there are jobs that aren't, let's say, dinner table friendly. Well, we're here to explore all of that on this year's podcast. We will be interviewing workers from all over the world about their strange and interesting jobs. That's right. Everything from specialized retail to sex work. Plus, everything in between and outside of set box. Oh, and if you're not already, please make sure that you are accompanied by an adult for this podcast. It can get spicy. Throughout the course of this series, we will take a deep dive into each and every career we stumble upon. Do you think that you have an interesting job? Maybe you do. Maybe your neighbor does. Maybe your best friend or your weed dealer. Okay, maybe not that last one. But if you do, stay tuned to the end of the show on how to get a hold of us. On today's show, we have musician Mike Ailey, most famously known as the bassist for Marianas Trench, but also now with the solo album, Golden Hour. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Okay. It's funny. It's called Golden Hour, but it is about 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> it, it... <laughs> I have this idea of doing like four parts and making a complete hour worth of music, but it's a lot of work putting out an EP. recording it and all that stuff it took longer than i thought so we'll see there's uh there the other there's two other of three parts already written and demoed um usually when i I record this stuff though while i'm in the studio other ideas come and that's the goal is to have more stuff bump off the the weakest of the totem pole you know that's awesome Mm -hmm. that's exciting that's exciting but we will definitely get into that a little bit later when we talk about uh kind of your we we've got a couple fan questions actually that we're going to bring oh good let's do it um (laughs) But first of all, before we get into all that nitty gritty, tell us what it is that you do professionally. So I am uh, Mike Ailey. I am the bass player in the band Mariana's Trench, have been since the entire time we put out music. Um, there was an early, 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 early version of the band years before I was in it um, with different members, but Ian wasn't, it's so many generations, but since the first album, it's been the same uh, four guys. And I am also the merch logistics expert within the crew. That's my oh. side job in the band. Love it. That's awesome. That's great. That's that's awesome. Did you have to go through any vocal in or instrumental classes? Uh, so I did some choir in school anyway, in mm-hmm. elementary school. Um, it was part of our curriculum. And then I did some additional on the side. Okay. So some singing stuff. Uh, when I joined Mariana's Trench, anybody did would take vocal lessons with Josh's mom because she was a, a world-class instructor and okay. helped us get some basics. So we would tune well and sing well and use some some sort of technique. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still taking lessons. Like speaking, I just took a, a speaking thing because I was like, my throat just gets sore all the time when I talk. Oh. And uh, really sore after a while. And after an hour, I'm like, my voice starts crapping out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I can't sing. So I, um, I'm working on that, um, having this cough for the last couple of weeks, sort of put off the exercises, so just trying yeah. to not die. Um, <laughs> and then with the instruments, I played trumpet when I was like 11, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that range a oh, couple cool. different times, like okay. in, a march, in a marching band first, and then in uh, ninth grade. Um, and then the bass I just picked up and started playing like, I don't know, I picked up. 
I stole it from my uh, <laughs> from my brother's my brother's roommate at the time. They they had a apartment in the basement, and I would go down when nobody was home, and I'd like try to figure out songs on like the piano and on the on the, the bass guitar, and and then I couldn't stop because I just felt so cool making. It was just like to literally try to like make a nursery rhyme, like dum 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 <laughs> dum. Oh no, that's not it. And I had to figure out nursery rhymes and stuff the very first time, right? Yeah, that's and pretty then, cool. Uh, and then I I started like mimicking, you know, albums that I like like Jane's Addiction was cool, and because you really hear the bass parts in that, so mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. What age did you pick up your first guitar then? Um, teens, my teens. teens. It was a little late, a little late to the party with that. But I remember <laughs> asking my my friend, we were not cool guys, and I'm like, we should start a band. He's like, <laughs> okay. He said, do you want to play guitar or bass? He's like, I want to play guitar, and I'm like, okay, I'll play bass, and that's how it was decided. Love it. And then we went out, and then we yeah, then we went out and bought um these like metal shredder. I had like a a warlock bass, and he had something else. And then uh, and we we never played a show. We jammed once or twice, but um it it got me where i needed to be has there been any that you would like to play that you haven't played instruments yes i would love to be a badass piano player because yeah. i feel like if you can play piano first of all the theory it's all right there and you'll understand almost every instrument mm-hmm. right um and i've like in the the last couple of years had to play guitar a lot more i could sort of you know play the chords and things like that but mm-hmm. um now i have to record it in like chase tones and and learn how to use effects better and and that's it's really really fun and it's funny because I, I don't play bass very much anymore because <laughs> it's a little limited uh for songwriting purposes mm-hmm. right um but sometimes i'll start some songs with the bass i'll just like start with a groove and then like what can i do with this and and actually up 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 and, and another one both came that came about that way but um uh those yeah piano would be one i'd love to add drums would be cool but they're too big too loud and too <laughs> too hard to set up they take forever to set up oh yeah well i mean there's digital drums now right you could yeah you could totally cool, <laughs> it's got to be like <sighs> if you can't make a face after it for anybody who's within earshot it's just not as cool (laughs) i mean that's fair i it is fun seeing the joy on ian's face when he's drumming uh i i do it there's this one clip of ian when he's doing uh during the celebrity status video where you can just see the absolute pure joy on his face while he's drumming you can just like yeah that's it that he's loving it (laughs) i'm gonna have to to watch the video again and look for that part um so you probably you probably get asked this a lot but i'm gonna ask it anyways uh and it's funny because you oh every time the band gets asked this it's always a different answer and i love it um how did mariana's trench come to be the band itself yes members okay so i'll just give you the the coles notes accurate version Uh, (laughs) um josh and matt were in high school together they were in high school band and uh, Ian and I were in another band, and the band that Ian and I were broke, Ian and I were in, uh, broke up as bands do because mm-hmm. it's hard to get everybody pointing on the same arrow at the same time with the same intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ian joined this band called Ramsey Fiction, uh, and then I went out to support him when he got that gig, and I was like, "Wow, this band is really good. Uh, look at all this, so much singing and harmonies, and they're really professional and." And then uh, they went through a change in their lineup and I was literally sitting down in coffee shops with Ian while he was interviewing other bass players. 
to be in Marin <laughs> Trench. And I was like, I don't think that's the guy. And, uh, I was like, and I'm like, I don't know, that guy's not that cool. And then things like that. And then, and then he's like, Hey, I just, I gotta let you know that Matt and Josh have both asked, does Mike want to try out? And I did, but I didn't want to like step into his world, uh, force myself into his thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to be like, Oh, can I, can I be the guy? You know what I mean? Else I haven't played a lot in a couple of years. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so uh, I said, yes, I do. And then he said, okay, well, you can do an audition uh, on Saturday with the band and you're going to need to know how to play Far From Here and you're going to need to know how to play another song. What was it? Far From Here because it was like the busiest. And if you can play that, you can probably play the other ones. Um, shoot, well, I can't remember what the song was. Anyway, I learned three because I there's another song that Ian had a demo of that I also really liked. But so that was like a, a a Saturday rehearsal. But Friday, Josh's like, hey, man, you want to hang out before like the rehearsal or something? And I was like, sure. So I went over to Josh's and uh, he's like, uh, let's just, I just want to hear you like, can you sing this part? Like, ooh, bop, bop, good vibrations. And I was like, yeah, 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 I can do that. And he goes, okay, keep doing that. And then I'm going to sing this other part and play this underneath. And just, I just want to keep singing that. And then I did. And he's like, okay, so that's pretty good. So let's uh, let's try another part. Uh, on top of that, and it ended up becoming a full phrase, and then he was doing this other thing, and then he was like, cool, then, okay, well, let's go, uh, I'll just drop you off back at home. And in my head, I knew that that was the audition. Nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. The other one was a formality, but, like, mm. that was the real test, and I uh, played a little bit, I brought a bass, but mostly it was a singing one, to see, can you actually sing, can you sing in tune, can you learn the part you're given, other than just what comes to your head, things like that. Mm. Um, and then, of course, that day, Matt's like, hey, man, before you were like, audition tomorrow do you want to like practice you me and ian we'll just like get a sneaky extra practice in before (laughs) so we also did another one of those and played all the the two or three songs about three or four times and then the next day i went and did the audition and uh and then it it went pretty well and then we sort of finished and josh didn't say anything and the guys didn't say anything i'm like huh i did okay i'm walking back to ian's car and i'm like well at least i tried i guess uh Huh, shucks. And then Josh down the road is like, hey, Mike. Yeah? Want to be in the band? Okay. <laughs> it was so unofficial, like, unformal. Anyway, it was, uh, it was really fun. That's so funny. I like I it. it. Um, I did pull up uh, the Fix Me album. Because uh, I'm now curious what the other song was you had to, you had to learn. Um, and then it reminded me of uh, the song "Decided to Break It." It wasn't uh, that one. It wasn't I was thinking of that because that but one I, has so much singing in it that I wouldn't have known any of the parts yeah. yet. That's that's got a lot. Who says what the fuck at the beginning? Ian. That's so Ian? Saying, we were recording that, and that for that song. I think we had the drums in a little little dry drum, more like a guitar sized room, but the drums fit. Mm-hmm. See that really tight. We got to do bad. I think it was out of that. Like we definitely use that room for push, like the verses. Mm-hmm. We might use it as a side to break it. And then Ian's like, what the fuck did I do wrong? Like doing that Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. I can't even do it. <laughs> and then I love that the counting isn't even like right. But it's, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's one, two, three, or something like that. Like it's really <laughs> weird. But we're like, ah, let's just leave it in there. It's kind of fun. So how does being in a big band, like a, a pretty much a household name at this point how does that affect your personal life um not very much actually every once in a while 
you know, when we're on tour, people will come up and say, oh, are you, are you the mm. guy from Marion Strange? Or especially because usually you're walking around with another guy from the band, at mm. least. So it starts to add, like the math adds up. And they know you're mm. probably in town because you're playing a show tonight or tomorrow or did yesterday kind of thing. Mm. Right. Um, at home, every once in a while, people will come up and be like, hey, are you, are you Mike from Marion Strange? And I always like it because I, I don't usually walk around with a mohawk at home unless it's like, some work related thing or mm-hmm. I'm going out and trying to feel cool with my wife. Like we're having a fun night out. <laughs> That's um, so I always figure if people recognize me, then they're like real, real fans. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I always appreciate that. And it's never like, uh, it's not impede my daily life. It's always a nice moment when that happens. Well, that's great. That's awesome. Um, how how long? Speaking of your tour, when you go on tour, uh, how long do those go for? And what has been your longest tour to date? Okay, so if we do a Canadian tour these days, like put out an album, we'll do what like the A Market tour or whatever. Like mm-hmm. basically Ontario and West, maybe out to Montreal, which sucks. I wish we could just go all the way coast to coast in one run because we usually get everywhere twice and the East Coast once per album cycle. And it's not really fair. Mm. I'd rather just do the whole thing once and then just do like summer festivals. Um, but generally, <clears throat> I'd say a Canadian tour is about three weeks long. A US tour is closer to six weeks long. When we've done Europe, it's about four. Australia is like two, three days. <laughs> three, <laughs> like the Australia, the Australia run we just did was just three shows, but it was like, you know, you land a couple of days early because the jet lags 18 hours or whatever it is. And you mm-hmm. play a show, day off, play a show, play a show, and then and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have gone there though, and on one particular tour played Auckland, and Perth, so that was five days. So it would have been, you know, closer to two weeks. Um, the longest tour you've ever done, we did a a double national Canadian tour playing every market, not just the A markets. Like, Ooh, shit. so it was like, you know, 20 shows one way, 20 shows the other, or more. Um, but we went west to east with, what the hell was it? I think it was with Faber Drive and Tupelo Honey. So an Edmonton band and like another Vancouver band. It was also in 604. Nice. And I think, I think that's that tour. It's a little bit of a blur by now. So we started in Edmonton or Grand Prairie or something like that. And then went all the way across to play these like smallest towns in New Brunswick and then turned around and then jumped on a tour going back. The, it was just Tupelo, Honey and Marianas Trench at that point. And we would alternate first and second on each night nice. uh, opening up for Everclear. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, which is pretty cool. And then, uh, but the whole thing was about eight or nine weeks. It was somewhere in the 60 day range, but we were living pretty cheap. Four guys to a hotel room because we couldn't afford, we didn't want to lose money or lose as little right. as possible, right? It's just like, I'm a business mind too. And I'm like, it's just, I can't accept blowing cash on stuff that doesn't get somewhere, right? Of course. Yeah. Um, so we did that. And we also had like a twenty dollar a day food budget or something, so you'd be like, I can get my six dollar Tim Horton meal, <laughs> yeah, and a McDonald's meal and a snack. You're like that's about all I can get a day without mm. spending personal money that I didn't have for all of us. And I remember playing the last show we played was in Vancouver, at a place called the Plaza, and my mom was there, and she was like, Oh, it's actually a little bit hard watching the show because you guys just all look like like so sick. We were like gaunt from like, oh the, no, the, but we didn't see it because it was just this gradual decline. Yeah, <laughs> that was a little too long to do it that way. Um, now when we tour, we have a tour bus, so we we don't have to get up at six a.m. and drive for eight hours for sound check in mm-hmm. Thunder Bay from Winnipeg or whatever it is. 
um, we go to play the show and you sleep as long as you can. Often it is mm -hmm. still only eight or nine in the morning when I get up, but you can sleep seven or eight hours of semi-quality sleep on the bus. And you don't have to worry about the stress of driving and navigating and booking the hotels. You have people to help you with that. Um, nice. And I tell you, man, because we did it all ourselves for the first hundred plus shows, maybe, mm. maybe 150, uh, we appreciate the work everybody does. And we do know the value they add and the, the, uh, the weight they take off our shoulders. That's why we love our crew so much. Maybe we, we really get along with the people we tour with. Well, I mean, when, you're, when you're touring with, when you're with a certain amount of with these people for an extended period of time, right? You're going to get to know these people. You're, you're, you're going to naturally pop up in conversation with these people. Oh, we live in the same bus. So well, exactly. Right. So yeah. you, you might as well, might as well make it pleasant. Well, and the thing is, it's not just, you don't know, just with them for three weeks uh, or four weeks or six weeks because the core of the crew, like there will usually be six to eight other guys. They're with you for the whole album cycle. Most of them, some of them will get mm -hmm. other gigs that they have to take because you know, it's a longer run and everybody needs to work, but like your tour manager and your inner monitor guy and often your guitar tech or, um, whatever it is, merch person or something, it's, it's the same person a lot of the time. So you're with them sometimes for years, you know, like they're, they're a chosen external family. I don't understand why some bands choose to try to segregate the, the, the talent from the, you know what I mean? It's so stupid. I, I from the hardest working people on earth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as, as, a, so as a thespian, I totally, I totally agree with that. Doing theater. I mean, your show, your show doesn't happen without the these people behind the scenes it it doesn't ha it doesn't totally. exist so i mean the appreciation for all of those people they put in the hardest work they do they oh, put in the hardest work really long days like look, so hard. i i've been to a couple of your shows um and i i, I was i did go on your um your ever after tour mm. and like that set that that's that set alone like 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 you having to worry about harnesses and cables, uh, lighting effects, sound effects, make sure the stage is all set up and right. Like the jack the, in the box are just so. Oh big. my god! <laughs> I oh my god, that thing was huge. I remember when that what thing was rolled on the stage. Holy crap! Um, but like like but it was awesome. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. And the risers, we Matt and I come up on the risers in the back, and then yeah, low smoke in the stage. But there's there were like so on that tour we would have two buses. So it was the band and four guys on four additional guys in our bus. So four crew there, and then I think eleven or twelve on the other bus. You can sleep twelve in a bus fairly comfortably. Oh, cool. There are twelve beds. Where the bags go is always the problem. But uh, so we had, we had sixteen crew, and then there'd always be like local hands doing some of the additional work as well. But there's like you need the experts that know what needs to be done, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, mm -hmm. that's awesome. So then, what's it like? back or i guess that is backstage kind of with all the crew mm -hmm. oh it's it's uh, different though i think the coolest thing like the coolest thing about being backstage i mean it's just usually in the arenas it's just hot hockey dressing rooms with like draping over the benches and then there's a, <laughs> a, a couch that still has the price tag on it because they're going to return it to the store <laughs> after the show and things like that and then a table with your snacks and, and a couple of drinks and things like that but it's like a little a little uh like a you know a rolling sideshow that's backstage of everybody and the other bands have their own rooms you sort of all going from the washroom to the catering at different times to get your food and it's pretty neat and um one part that i really love though is i don't know if you uh know the movie almost famous but when they're backstage 
you can always hear like the mur- the murmur of the band that's on stage right now and yeah. they're having conversations. That's exactly what it's like. It's not quiet. And I love it. It's like the opening band becomes like almost a subconscious soundtrack for the tour. Nice. So like we did down with Webster and like whatever that there's one song that's really cool. And every time that was on, I like, I knew, okay, we're about 30 minutes from changeover and like things like that. You don't even realize, you know it. And it's just cool that like, I don't know. I don't know. It's pretty neat. And then the buses we had a, with that particular tour, Sean hook, uh, Mm. John Oak and us, and was that down with Webster? That one, maybe it wasn't. Um, but we got snowed in the city, couldn't make the thing, so we're like stuck in a small town called Cash Creek, and there's like three buses in a tour parking lot and semi trucks, and everybody's just like, ah. <laughs> so we just like go in Denny's and have mimosas or whatever. There you like, go. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that th- was sorry. I was just rem- I was remembering that tour. Um, that was one of the plan. The simple plan was down with Webster. The one yes. where we got snowed in was a different one. It was uh, oh, okay. it was uh, on one of the Astoria ones. The nice. simple plan where they were the headliner on that one run we did, the very beginning of Ever After was amazing because those guys are so nice, mm-hmm. They're really really nice. They're very professional, um, and they were very understanding that we were learning how to become a bigger band because we were growing pretty quickly through Masterpiece Theater and into that album mm-hmm. cycle. And we were all nice guys, so we weren't like, we need this and this and this on stage. They were like, you can have this and this. You know, as the opening band, you don't get to have all the tricks because the headliner supposed to look like a headliner. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were nice enough to go allow us to use, you know, maybe an extra thing or have an extra piece of merch. And then nice. welcomed us on the tour with like, you know, welcome to the tour. of a bottle of champagne. Good luck, you guys. And, oh, nice. and they were really nice. And we learned a lot about how to treat other bands when immediately after that we did the u.s tour and then we Mm -hmm. did our own headlining arena tour but the one we did with them was part of the reason we could do it you know and do it right and and be good to the bands that were with us nice that's fantastic so how are the vip crowds what do you want to know what do you mean (laughs) it depends where we go in canada united states and and australia there are tons of tons of people they're they're really heavily sold um in europe it's not as much of a thing so we would do them and sometimes you'd have like 10 people and sometimes you'd have 30 or 40 people but in you know north america it's usually 100 plus when you have Mm -hmm. 10 people it's a little hard because you want to give them the full experience but everybody's too shy to ask a question yeah and you're like okay (laughs) so i guess we'll just start talking about i don't know what and then hopefully you guys open up and then ask Mm -hmm. some questions oh yeah um but I really like the I like the crowds. I like the questions. There's a lot of frequent questions that we get a lot, and then there are a lot that you get surprised by, and I love those ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but like what, for example? Well, like what was your favorite video to shoot? And you know, you get asked that one a lot, or you know, what's your songwriting process? But it's hard to think of the ones that that are different because they're different, and I've been like, whoa, that was cool, and then I forget what it was, right? Yeah. Um, but I always love that. I love when people think of something or have a different perspective on it or something like that, you know? Yeah, um, that's for sure. And then uh, they're always really nice. We have the, we have the nicest, su- most supportive, loyal fans of any band I've seen. I feel like this is like the, the Swifties or like this, except ours mm-hmm. are, can't say cooler. That alienates a lot of people. But you know, <laughs> and there's a lot of overlap, but I love our fans. I, I love who they are. 
they're uh, they're emotional like us. They're mm-hmm. uh, passionate like us. A lot of them travel to shows all over the world and many shows oh, yeah. on tour, which is just fantastic. Um, so many familiar faces, and I'm really, really bad with recognizing faces. It's like um, <laughs> you know, there's like IQ charts for oh, your IQ is this, but your emotional quotient is this. And I'm like, yeah. if there was a a scale for ability to recognize people, which there must be. I'm like way at the bottom (laughs) and and I I can't help it. It's quite frustrating, but I still recognize hundreds of faces. So that means I'm seeing them a lot, you know, that's awesome. Oh, the, uh, the Astoria instrumental album. Was that, was that released for the fans? I don't know. We don't know what happened there. All of a sudden it was out there. We're like, I don't know what that is. Like, Oh really? Yeah. I I don't really know what that was all about. I I uh, loved it. It it kind of allowed me to to fuck around with some covers. <laughs> yeah, and you and know I what? Like of all the albums we've done, I think that one is the closest to being able to stand alone instrumentally. Yes. Uh, there's so many cool string things going on in that album, and those those transitions are already instrumental. Between mm. there's like four of them on there, so I wasn't disappointed. It was up there. I just thought that was a really unusual but cool decision that the label made, I think. I mean, I, I don't remember seeing I, any emails about it. <laughs> I thought it was really cool because like all of yeah. a sudden, like all of a sudden us fans were like, oh, um, they've released an instrumental version of the album. Then you listen to it and you're like, okay, that's beautiful. You hear more. Wow. Yeah. Like there, yeah. There's things you wouldn't hear. And then you go back and listen to the, the, the actual album and then you hear it. And you're like, oh, well, that's really cool. And it's funny because it was always adding something to the moment. You just weren't aware of what was adding that thing mm-hmm. to the moment. And then you hear it and you're like, oh, cool. Josh's production is like, it's just, it's a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Even when I was working on my own stuff, I almost didn't. Because I was like, I don't know, man, what's the point? I can't compete <laughs> with that. Like, his production is so good, the singing and the writing. And I was like, God, it's like, I feel like I'm a, a, a seventh grade kid competing with a, a university professor. And then I was like, but I'm not competing, you know? No. I'm just doing this because I want to and I love it. And Josh didn't come up and say, I'm going to beat you. He was like, good job, you know? And mm. you realize that it's not a competition. It's just, it's a, it's an emotional outlet and a creative thing that makes you feel good. So, um, but going back to the point, he is like, I remember listening to Phantoms recently just on on AirPods or something like that. And I was like, God, the fucking details. <laughs> so good. There, you guys are, yeah. The uh, the little the little things, and I, I I listen to the every time I listen to the album, it's like, oh, I didn't I didn't pick that up before. Um, a buddy of mine, we were actually talking recently, and um, huge compliment to Josh. Uh, we actually uh, songwriting, we compared him to sing, singing, songwriting, just all of the talents that he has. We said he's would probably be a modern day. Um, um, oh my God, I can't believe I'm brain farting on this. <laughs> he's uh, he's essentially, um, yeah, there it is. He's essentially a, a modern day Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I would. That's a pretty big statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had to pick somebody, it's something along those lines. I'm not sure who else like does all those things that way right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like covers so many different genres. We've just done oh, yeah. so many different things within an album. Even there's just so many different things like, from an acapella intro and the last song to this, I think the Killing Kind is one of the best songs of all time. I hundred uh, percent. I um, I know it's it's also a big statement, but I it's the only song of ours that I still, when I'm practicing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, all these songs, playing hundreds of shows of them, that's the only one I still like. 
as I'm playing it, I'm like turning it up, turning it up, turning it up because I'm like, oh my God, and I get goosebumps. I'm like, <laughs> still to this day, like if I played it now, it would happen. So um, I just think it's a crazy ride. And, uh, and I remember hearing the pre-mixed, pre-mastered version and going, I fucking hate this song. It's <laughs> all over the place. It's so disjointed. It's blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's going to ruin the album, all this kind of things. And I'm like, that's my favorite song ever. <laughs> <laughs> once that's it came hilarious. together and the you know you iron it out and like mm-hmm. those those details those little things right right yeah and <laughs> one another thing to think about like what band right now can do four-part harmony live that you get the way acapella the way that you guys do i can't think of anybody that comes to mind right off the top of my head your harmony live is pitch perfect backstreet boys <laughs> are they still performing? I don't know. I'm trying to think of who's performing. I'm sure. I'm sure there are a number of bands who could do it. Um, some of those like funky soul bands, like mm. they can do it. But like when I, I, there was a video that yeah, when you guys did did your your uh, your warm up in a back hallway and did Eleonora. Oh my! I got chills. I got chills. It was beautiful. I'm like, oh, look at you guys go. Uh, and then when you guys what you went into a, like a an abandoned pool or something Haunted like that swimming pool at the yeah. yeah yeah and then you did you did eleanora there and i'm like <gasps> yeah oh, that was the people. right place because that oh. that is not an exaggeration that uh that venue is accompanied by many permanent residents Ooh. uh that live there uh there's one in the pool there are other ones around there that place is crazy and every cool band has gone through that venue somewhere along the way from like you know, back in the grunge days like Bush and Nirvana to mm. everybody. It's just, and they're, cause they have like all these different rooms. So it's like a really small room, which we, we didn't play that one. It might be like a hundred person club. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the six, 700 person or 800 person room, which is probably where we play. And then way upstairs is this big ballroom. Uh, that's like a, probably a 3000 person room. Wow. Um, where you get like, you know, a lot of the emo bands play there and, but like before they go to the arena level, like that was the spot, you know, and I remember I would just walk around that whole venue, even though it's this big, creepy building, um, looking at all the posters, like before you play, I do that a lot, actually. I think we all do, because it just really makes you realize the the history of the venue. And it's like these these people played here on this stage. Like we played a we played a venue that the Rolling Stones played on a little little secret club in Toronto, the Horseshoe. Mm-hmm. But they would do like little surprise shows there and Green Day nice. played there like, you know, a few months before doing like a warm up for American Idiot or something like that. Mm. Just like, yeah. That's neat. Uh, so would you say that's one of your like the one that that particular venue, would you say it's one of your favorite venues or would there be do you have one that surpasses that? Oh, there's ones that are, that, is, that surpass that. I think that was as far as vibe goes really cool i like the house of blues venues uh in chicago is really cool boston is really cool um hmm. there's lots of great venues all over the place um i like the clubs i think i like the big club show yeah so like the arena is amazing because you can bring all this production and it's like it's like larger than life and you can like josh can fly and like it's just <laughs> it's really cool to feel like that yeah. But I like the show where you're there with connected with everybody. Yeah. But I like it when it's also like 1,500 people. So it's still big and small at the same time. Like yeah. it's packed in. There's so much energy. So like the House of Blues in Chicago is about 1,200 people capacity, 1,250 or something like that. 
and there's a main floor and then there's like a, a, a balcony. There might even be a third balcony. And then you can like wow. see people. Uh, Boston for sure is three or even four levels. That one's over 2000. That's a huge venue. But we wow. almost sold it. We almost sold it out. That's awesome. Um, but I like the, yeah, I like any of those. A sold out big club show is probably my favorite. That's awesome. Well, it's more intimate, right? Intimate and still feels like exciting and like still like there might be a lot of us here, but we all still have this like little secret that they don't even know, but it's sold. It's like, <laughs> but when you're doing it. arenas, it's like everybody knows, like right. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, God, here you we mentioned earlier, you know, oh yeah, I love getting those really out there questions. Right, I I got one for you. <laughs> uh, this comes from this comes from a fan. Um, are there any songs that you have fallen out of love with over the years? Out of love with? Mm-hmm. There are songs I've fallen out of love with and back in love with, which I okay. think is even more interesting. Mm. Um, you kind of fall out of love with all of them at one point or another, just because okay. you're like on a tour. But, mm-hmm. but I still love them. You know, it's more just like. We're ready for fresh music, so it's nice when there's a new album, although the first few shows suck because every song is new and it's a lot to concentrate on. Mm-hmm. But I love all the songs. Um, when I feel like they start to become a little too familiar or autopilot, like Cross My Heart, we played a lot. Mm-hmm. But I still mm-hmm. like playing it. And then what I, the longer we play it, the more I really focus on the performance, like the, I'm like, if this was recorded, would it be good enough for the album? Mm-hmm. And I try to think like that and still put in a show. Ooh. And I think that's, that's fun. Like I really listen to Ian and lock in, but honestly, most of the times I just have so much fun playing, playing all the songs because the crowd is into it. And, and then I'm into it. And um, this, like after two years of really hard to playing shows and going back to playing everywhere, seemingly everywhere this last summer, um, I loved every single song. Um, That's awesome. I find if I'm beside you is a little hard to to sing in tune, and I get a little frustrated because it's it's all those harmonies, but you can't really hear each other. And I think the thing I I found out what I think the problem is: Ian's drums are in a different tune, a different key oh, in the song. Okay, and it's boom, 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 and like it's a really resonant tom, and it feels like it like doesn't jive with it. And I'm like, something's out of tune, and it's driving me fucking crazy. Now you and know. To Matt, me and Matt are usually quite. <laughs> Like our 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 parts pretty pretty well line up and um, mm. and I'm like I think he and I are doing okay. Josh is fine. Ian I I can't hear him as well, but it sounds pretty good. But if something's not right, and I just I get frustrated when you hear something out of tune, right? Like of course. Like if you ever listen to Oasis, I loved Oasis, um, but I have a really hard time listening to songs like Wonderwall now because mm-hmm. the more my hearing has learned to pick out tuning, mostly just for professionalism, like having to be constructive on my own. Um, it's so out of tune. It's so pitchy, that song, that I just, I can't do it. I can't listen to it anymore. It's like, <laughs> why didn't they just run it through auto-tune? They should have just re- re- redo it and just fix it. It drives me crazy. Like, if you can't sing it, just fix it. Like, you're my wonder wall. Yeah, except you were more, <laughs> you were more in tune. Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, he's, we're he's in... a little bit sharp a lot, but he's got a great yeah. voice. Like, it's so yes. much attitude. I just... Just make it a little more in tune, and it would be so good. Um. Oh yes, the um, the breathe out song. Yes. When my wife first heard that song, uh, she cried, and she's like, "It sounds like he's talking directly to me." 
And she's oh. like, it's exactly what I wanted to hear. It's a beautiful song. Thank you. Um, and like, it's, it's honestly, it's probably one of my top played songs right now because it is just such an inspirational song. So you're the guy, you're the one who's listening to it. That's amazing. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it, that's me. That's me. You're like, who is this guy that's listening to it like 10 times a day? That's me. Um, I, I love it. It's an amazing, it's an amazing song. It gives such inspiration. Uh, I've, there have been times where I've been like really down. Yeah. And I've, I'm like, you know what? I need to listen to this song and I'll put it on and I'm like, I'm saying, and I'm singing along and I'm like, like going at the top of my lungs and it's just like, all right, I feel better now. I'm good. That's good. Yeah. I, that one is, uh, actually it was one of the first ones for the EP just really came out of nowhere. I'm sitting, reading a book and I was like, I want to do a song kind of like the cures disintegration where like the baseline is driving it. Um, uh, fascination street. But I'm like, I don't want it to be dark. I want it to be more positive enough. Yeah. So it, it totally ended up going way off from that. But that was, I had a baseline. I was like, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, or maybe the baseline could do this. Then I was like, or oh, that's the guitar part. And that's the baseline. I'm like, oh crap, I better go upstairs and start recording this. <laughs> so I ran upstairs and literally eight hours later, like I had a very, it was one of the first things. So my recording skills at the time were the worst they've been. But the idea was down drums, piano, all of it, except for the singing um maybe a gibberish singing within a day and i was like that was it so then uh, i figured out what it was about and that one is uh sort of written for my son it's like about that first worst day of your life when you're like mm. man i didn't know it could hurt this much and we've all had it and i remember having those being like i don't know if i want to do this this thing it's like not worth it if there's going to be a lot of days like this i don't want to do it if it's just one maybe <laughs> Um, but I don't know. I'm only I'm too young to have it. It'd be character and experience of, of getting through it to know you can get through it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking about him the first time he has that experience. And uh, then I had an awful thought of what if I'm not there when he needs me on that day? What if what if I'm on the other side of the world or what if I'm just not with us? You never know. Right. In this world, mm -hmm. as like the least I can do is is give him this to have there just in case. Uh, I'm not, and maybe it's there for somebody else too. You know, that's beautiful, yeah. man. That's I absolutely like that. beautiful. Yeah. So it doesn't have to get a, a billion streams. If it if it helps anybody, then then it's already done its job. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, a, it's beautiful, right? Uh, we are gonna take a quick ad break here. I just have a quick word from our sponsors. Don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Mike Gailey from Marianas Trench, and you're listening to Weird Careers. Are the big corporations taking your sales with fancy images that just aren't in your small business budget? Not to worry. At Cardinal Images, they take everything to heart. Cardinal Images is a small business supporting small businesses, so they get it. Check out cardinalimages.ca for their gallery and contact info. Also, if you're a listener of this podcast, you will receive not only your demo images, but your first shoot absolutely free. Just email eric at cardinalimages.ca with the subject line podcast promo to receive your free shoot today. Cardinal Images, affordable pricing, professional images, and personable photography. And welcome back to Weird Careers. We have Mike Ailey from Mariana's Trench here with us today. Welcome back, Mike. Thanks. Good to be back. That was it. Really tiring break. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so when you've been on tour, have you ever wanted to learn a language so that you could communicate with your fans? 
He's already nodding his head. Definitely. <laughs> um, most of the places we play are English first language. Mm -hmm. But when we're in Quebec, I know enough French to, to get through from learning in school. Yeah. And then in uh, Europe, though, it would have been really cool like, to know German when we were there. Mm -hmm. And I would love to have known Korean when we were in Seoul because it's a really cool place. And in Germany, they all still know a fair amount of English. But in Korea, there's some people that can speak English and it's felt like that. Some that couldn't, some that couldn't. Um, where else do we go? Paris is French, so I could sort of fake it enough there too. Je ne peux pas beaucoup de français. I actually went to Chile once a long time ago mm -hmm. um, for only like a week and a half or something. <clears throat> but for the months before, I learned as much Spanish as I could because <laughs> it's that same thing you're saying. I just want to be able to be as close to communicating with the culture, be as much in the culture. And I think it's respectful to know as much as you can and should try. Absolutely. That, that's yeah. commendable. That's very respectable. Yeah, I like that. Um, so... Since being famous, do you find that you have some special treatment? So like people letting you go ahead of them in line or buying you your coffees, whatnot? Well, um, that's so funny to me. I don't know why. <laughs> if you're playing shows and we're in the venue, I don't mind if people let me do that because usually we have things we need to do. Mm -hmm. they'll let you buy and in the line obviously so you can get it and like play the show but um a little bit i don't know i don't usually think that just because what you do you're known for doing it that you should be treated differently and i i don't like when people think that like they race to the front of the car line and then cut in front of everybody that just waited and merged at an earlier point and i'm like i don't know why is your time more valuable than ours that kind of thing right Right. Um, however, it is part of like the game and sometimes you have to have to take advantage of it if you you just have to. So <laughs> I remember going to Las Vegas once with um, my best friend and I wanted to go to a pool party, and, but it was going to be like 110 degrees out. Like it was like the Hard Rock Hotel or something like that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I didn't want to be out in the sun for hours. And I was like, God, but those those cabanas are like minimum spent $3,000. And I was like. I can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to email an address they find on their website, see what happens. <laughs> and at first, at first I was like, Hey, um, you know, I'm Mike Maris Trench, blah, 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 blah. I wonder if we could get like a, you know, get a, a cabana for the day. But you know, one of the poolside things would be fine. And then it's like, uh, uh, just ask for what you want. They'll tell you they can give you less. Right. People always do that. We all do that. We're like, but I would settle for this. Well, the negotiation's over. We can keep you happy and give you less. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I just said, I would love to have access to a cabana and have a, a bottle of Jack Daniels and a bottle of vodka and some mix, and and I'll post about it on social media. See what happens. <laughs> and they're like, sure. Can you use these tags? And uh, you don't have a minimum spend. You know, if you can tip the the service team that'd be great so i tipped them like we had a three thousand dollar tent but we didn't have mm -hmm. to pay for it you know what i mean nice yeah. um, that's pretty cool that was one of the few ones <laughs> but it's funny because i asked other people like at the label and like the u.s label I'm like can you guys help me with this stuff and they're like uh you know sorry you didn't have any luck and i'm like but you're like into publicity and 
one of the agencies also did actors and I'm like, I'm sure you guys can do this shit. And everybody came up dead. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it myself. Got everything I wanted everywhere that weekend. There you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, and it's so cool that sometimes you just got to ask. And then it's funny because I've gone with the whole band and crew and like, this is going to be really cool. We're going to bring the party to like this, this pool party and, and did it again. And they're like, we can't give you anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I must've just got really lucky that time. That's funny. <laughs> um, from all you've traveled all over the world now, like you've been everywhere. Getting there, getting there, getting there, getting there. Um, so you've seen people from all over the world, uh, fans from all over the world now. Uh, what is the craziest thing that a fan has tried to give you at a show? And is there anything from a show that a fan has given you that you've kept? Oh, for sure. I have things that, that I've kept. Some of them are down in like storage. Some of them uh, were like, my wife gave me a bracelet. Actually, she didn't give it to me at a show, but, um, but she gave it to me when she wasn't my wife. Aww. And and I wore it and we did this uh, live stream. We we're about to go back out on tour during the Astoria tour. And she saw she saw the live stream from the record level. She saw it was wearing it. She's like, I'm going to go. He's wearing the bracelet. I'm going to go to that show. And she did. And she she spontaneously showed up. And then we like ran into each other in like the lobby when I was setting up merch for the day. And uh, and then we talked and then we ended up because we'd already met. And then it was like we met, we hung out. That's a kaleidoscope is actually about. It's about that day we met and then had to leave at the end of the day. I was like, God, I think that was her, the one. But I live in Vancouver and she's in New York. It's never going to work. So we were both like, we're just going to, it's going to hurt. What's the point mm -hmm. of like, you know, we barely know each other, even though it was like the, the writing was on the wall. The electricity was amazing. Mm -hmm. The chemistry like just got along so well. Um, and then, and it ended up working out, but that was one of the things I kept that it's funny, um, using that bracelet probably was the luckiest thing in my life. Cause she is honestly the, the best human I know. And, um, we still have all these moments just yesterday. We're in a restaurant, um, having breakfast and about to do a social media post. I'm like, is it weird if I post this? And she was like asking, do you care if I post this? And it was literally the exact same thing. We're both going to post. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this is freaky. But I'm like, <laughs> anyway, it was just uh, like, I don't know if you follow mainstream, but like she posted a picture of herself with the balloons for the Christmas song. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, um, this is my wife, like with love, because she's just like, I think she's so beautiful. But she turned around and was like, do you think we could post this? And it's like, uh, yeah, this is my wife. I married this girl or something like that. Like, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, literally, we turned our phones to each other so in sync she's the best that's amazing that's, well, that's my best that's my best uh sort of fan item story i love that's it adorable that's yeah. amazing um so they're from writing to touring to um and well everything in between has that process changed since becoming a dad oh, man i have no time uh, <laughs> right and right now i have no time Bella is our baby and she just started daycare. So I'm going to start having time. And I think as long as I'm not like often worse than this tomorrow, <laughs> going to the studio tomorrow um, and then probably two to three times a, a, a week and Ian and Matt are going about two to three times and Josh is sort of there pretty much every day, obviously, because it's mm -hmm. his studio that he has the keys to. Mm -hmm. um, but it definitely changed things. I think the coolest thing though, which isn't really about the process, but the coolest thing about becoming a, becoming a parent is uh, it's really grounding and humbling. And I remember we were just finished Masterpiece Theater 
and then ever after came out and the band was like doritas and multi-platinum album all these hit semi-hit songs or hit songs number ones on much music and top tens and radio and things like that and and then i come home from tour and then i've got my son and and you know he poops his diaper and i gotta wipe that butt and i was like this is so good <laughs> because because it really keeps you from like letting that sort of wonderland world um become the real world because it's not mm-hmm. it's so not that it's just what happens when you're out there mm-hmm. kind of uh it's like a, a bubble waiting to burst but if you have this real thing around you then it's just like this fun place you go over once in a while and you come home and you have like real real stuff that's awesome that's what, that's like one it. thing i've noticed about you. you you especially you guys as a band as a whole uh you guys are all very down to earth uh very le- level-headed you can actually you can be approached which I is think nice part of part of that is also about the the first album cycle where we just we were our own tour manager and merch people and, and did every single thing uh it keeps you pretty humble and we met every single fan and we we're like shaking hands with everybody and getting to know them and taking pictures in the next show there'd be 40 people and 60 people and 80 people and we did it every show and and i think that uh we never took the fans for granted because um we met the first ten thousand, you know mm. and uh understand that now we're meeting more who are just as excited about the music as as the first ten thousand were but they just stumbled across the music a few years later mm-hmm. and uh, i think that keeps you pretty like like just as you're saying you know pretty humble mm-hmm. that actually kind of flows right into what i was gonna say next um my best friend Catherine from ontario she has grown up listening to you since your first album and so when I told her we had this interview, she's like, oh, so excited. So she wants to know what's changed from the, like, when you first started until now. The industry's changed a lot. Um, the beginning, it was all about selling this, you know, four-inch diameter silver disc uh, mm-hmm. to everybody as much as you can. And that was how you determined what was successful. And then it was about selling those and then also these digital singles on this thing called iTunes. And then it was like, just iTunes was really the thing. And then it's like, mm. this other thing that everybody's going to hate called Spotify. And I'm like, now that's the business, <laughs> you know, it's funny how, so the business has changed like crazy. Uh, the social media platforms have changed so much from MySpace to Twitter to Instagram and Instagram's still a factor. Um, mm. In fact, my, my preferred platform and TikTok, TikTok's a little bit too, disposable stuff in my mind uh, it kind of fries my brain a little more so i don't i don't i don't love it as much i think it's cool how in the industry because of those things that aren't regulated by the the music industry gatekeepers everybody has a chance mm-hmm. um although i find it it's a little challenging be, because everyone has a chance there's a lot of stuff out there that maybe there's a reason it didn't get there it's just like the c instead of like i feel like when i was putting out the mic a music <clears throat> i'm like i want people to hear this but there are millions of new songs coming out every year millions mm-hmm. and and how do i get people to hear this uh and people don't want to click a link on instagram they don't no. you know like oh it's right here i'll do just click it this might be your favorite song you might have a brand new favorite song and man do we all love having one of those songs but yeah. To get somebody to go, I'll listen to that. 
is is so difficult. Even with me, a lot of times I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it right now. I don't know why. And then now I'm like conscious that I make that decision. So for the people I, I want to support, I'll at least give it a shot, right? Most of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it's hard because they don't want to actually leave the platform. They just want to zone out, right? Yeah. They don't want to yeah. like engage truly with uh, what's going on there. Um, it's that instant it's, gratification. Yeah, but they might get a more instant, deeper two and a half to three minute gratification. You know, that's the thing. Yes, agreed. <laughs> um, and then it might like really mean something like you were saying, like you know, the way your wife, your wife, um, and breathe out connect. Like that's. Mm. I love when I find those songs. Um, but the thing is, so it's cool that everybody has their 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 opportunity now, but the problem is because there's so many people, it's like instead of trying to have like your little tadpole found in a lake, you're still a tadpole, but you're in an ocean. Mm. And it's just so much, so much noise to try to get heard through. Yeah. Um, so it's for Mariana's Trench, it's really, really lucky that we have a, that incredibly loyal fan base mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Um, that are actually waiting to hear it i i this other podcast i i like called the writer and the writer is a couple of times i've heard the host talk about like you know you're reading songs but nobody's waiting to hear it nobody's out there going i wonder what they're going to read next because they don't know it's coming mm-hmm. they're waiting to hear something they like but they're not waiting for your next song um for us we're lucky enough that there are, are, are hundreds of thousands of mariana strange fans who are waiting yeah. um and and that is uh that's that's amazing especially because we take our time you know, we don't bump out an album every 14 months. It's this one's, mm-hmm. you know, going to be a pretty long time since the last and, and a couple of other gaps in there between ever after the story, but they, they're still there. So, and I, and I get it because back to the other thing we we're talking about for the albums, the songs, they're like, um, they're different. Like you're comparing to Queen or something, but um, it's not something you can get anywhere. It's not like if, uh, if you like, uh, especially in that emo era, if you like one band and they stop making it, there are 30 other bands making similar songs. Mm-hmm. There are a few of them that really stood out. But in our case, there aren't a lot of bands doing what we're doing. So I think if that's what resonates with you, luckily for us, we're the place you can get it. Which is great. I mean, you guys have, that's one thing I loved, I've always loved about Mariana's Trench. You guys have a very unique sound. When you put out an album, it's almost themat- thematic, which is, mm-hmm. I, I love that. Yeah, um, me too. I don't know how many times I've actually pictured um, um, Masterpiece Theater and Fix Me and putting them together into a musical. How many times I've actually thought that through my brain? Um, which, by the way, if you're ever interested, I have some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but from Mariana's Trench, you've, like, we've talked a lot about your time with Mariana's Trench. But now you're you've just put out your first EP, Golden Hour, First Things First, um, and so we'd love to tell us about that journey. Before we do that, though, here is a little snippet from out from uh, Mike's song, Up, Up, Up. Here it is. Times of
tell us how did you go from being in a band to releasing your first album and how how different is it um i'm not sure we uh, were chatting earlier about this song called breathe out and how it sort mm. of just sort of came really quickly it was one of those ones i feel like there's a few songs that like the universe will give you as like your key to get in there or to get the ball rolling but it's up to you to continue to do the work and like dig through the the rocks and the soil to find the rest of the music or the finishing parts like you know i feel like some stuff floats and some stuff you have to you have to go into the mind if that makes sense mm-hmm. um and I, I learned about that in this one because our um breathe out came really 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 quickly to me and i was like oh god that was such an amazing day and the, the music as soon as i was finished with the bass the guitar was waiting for me in my head as soon as i finished with that there's this piano part and i'm like oh that's cool in there and and the drums and it was really really like this really cool experience um and then the other songs like kaleidoscope which is actually my favorite one maybe because of what it's about Mm -hmm. um maybe because it's the closest to my initial vision the final product i'm not sure um but that one i really had to work on like i had a whole different chorus and then i was laying in bed and i'm like it's okay it's okay (laughs) i read i'd sung it i'd done harmonies i edited it i'd like done uh, days days doing vocals trying to figure out what it was and what the words were because it's sort of i'll hum stuff and then i'll like replace it with the words as i figure out what those are because they always mm-hmm. they usually come last for me and then i was laying in bed it was about three or four in the morning and i woke up and i'm like it's okay walked out to the computer highlighted like eight vocal tracks that were about a minute long or a minute and a half if you use it all together i was like Neat. and i was like well that's that. I still like the verses and I'm like, but I'm going to have to figure out what the hell that chorus is. <laughs> um, and that's a weird feeling, but it was actually also made me feel really good. Cause I'm like, I'm not just going to settle for something that fills the space. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying everything there is the best option in the world, but it's at least the best I could come up with. And I think there are moments in up, 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 um, right before the, the sort of outro that I, I love that guitar and it's it's i kind of wanted it like to be the feature part and then when it got mixed it was sort of changed into this like this little thing that gets a bit bigger but i want it to be like a wall of that part um so that's about the only part i'm like didn't quite do the thing but it still does the thing so i don't know i can't tell based on my taste and then the taste of the producer and mixer what it should have been you know, sometimes it's hard to tell because you're you're hiring these people for their taste, and if they both came up with something like that, I'm like, maybe that's how it's supposed to be. Um, but the recording process was weird. It was uh, really fun. It, it got me through the sort of like midway through the first year of the COVID thing to the next year. It gave me something to put my energy into in a positive way. I didn't plan on putting out an EP, but then the songs kept coming, and then I started sending them to the label to see what they thought. And they um, said, what do you want to do with these? <coughs> I said, I don't know. I said, I want to put them out. I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> as simple as that. All right. So we're getting down to the final. We've got three signature questions that we ask every guest that we've got on. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll hand that over to Danny. So what's the best part about what you do? I think it's pretty awesome to get to see so much of the world. Uh, get to do it with your best friends and um playing music is pretty awesome the hearing damage not so great that's probably the biggest downside actually I do invest to protect it but there's a little tinnitus that goes on there 
I bet there is with the um because you got you guys do have those uh those hearing uh protections that you have in there, but I guess they only do so much, eh? Yeah, and still like you have to play the volume and you still have to hear it, and then like sometimes the you need to hear more of your vocals, but like the symbol's not that far away, so it bleeds in there, so it's also mm. loud. Things like that. Think, I love I love seeing that. the world. I love I love getting to play with my friends. Um <clears throat> I just I miss being home sometimes, but it's not that bad. Mm -hmm. Because we're with her, with her, some of our other best friends, you know. Nice. So, with there being uh, an upside, the best part of what you do, obviously, you know, you know what goes up, what must come down. There's, there's a yang and a yang. What's the biggest downside to being a professional musician? Yeah, the tinnitus is frustrating, um, but it's not that bad. Being away from your family uh, can be a little rough, but it's, it's also not that bad because we never do like those we're on the road for a year. It's like four weeks on, four weeks off, six weeks on, a few weeks off. It's never like, like in our busiest year, like we did about six months of touring. And when we release an album, it's usually closer to four or five. And I think that's a better life work balance than, uh, you know, like you look at uh, Shawn Mendes having mm -hmm. a mental breakdown because, or whatever he had. And I don't blame him. Um, Cause it's like, I don't want to be away for 10 months straight. And for him, he doesn't have like <clears throat> Matt and Josh and Ian that are like your best friends on stage with you that have been there since everything. You're like a fucking team that's seen everything mm. and you got each other. And I'm sure the band loves him. They're really nice guys, his band. He's a really nice guy. All these great people. Uh, his his uh, sound guy, he's tremendous a couple times and Tom Wood and he's wonderful. But Tom's actually been there for him since the beginning. But um, being on stage and being the face, there's, you know, it's up to him. And I, I feel really bad about that. But in, at least in us, it's broken up into, you know, to chewable portions. Mm -hmm. Not like trying to eat the entire all you can eat buffet by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we're all doing it. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad it, that's a glad I'm glad you got you have you got your friends with you. That's that that's that's a make or break. It sounds like it's huge. Love that you have that um before we get into our last one we do want i just want to say a huge huge thank you uh so much for coming on today mike even though you're still a little bit under the weather uh we do appreciate you taking the time to sit down and uh and chat with us i love this i'm really happy to doing this so no worries awesome yeah i'm having so much fun doing it too it's thank you <laughs> <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up um, when I was really little, I wanted to be a, a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. Nice. Um, but I never played baseball. I would just like play with friends, throwing the ball around. I'm like, you're the catcher. I'm the pitcher. So <laughs> <laughs> my voice wasn't that low then, but you know what I mean. Um, That's a completely different direction. <laughs> yeah. And then when I was in my teens, I started falling in love with music and thought it was not a possible thing, but I wanted to do it. And then I was like, I'm also really good at like numbers and stuff like maybe i'll get into like investing but it kind of never chose anything and then when the music was there i was like oh that's why because that's actually what i want to do and the mm -hmm. opportunity came and i was like on it you know with all of my teeth it just all I, fell right into place yeah that's amazing made sense it's so great to to hear uh that you're you're living your essentially you're living your dream job and it's oh man my I, life my life is great i mean you know there's there's always something you could say but um I, i'm yeah, play music with my, my best friends and um my home life is is happier than it's ever been and uh i'm just uh i don't know pretty pretty lucky guy 
Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. stay humble. That sounds really good. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, anyways, thank you again, Mike, so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute treat. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Ailey from Mariana's Trench. You can check out uh, their albums on Spotify, Apple Music, and you can also check out Mike's new EP, Golden Hour, uh, as well on Spotify and Apple Music. Thanks again so much for coming on today, Mike. Thank you, guys. It was fun. Do you have a cool or interesting job? You never know. Believe it or not, your 9 to 5 may be more interesting than you think. So don't be shy and shoot us an email at weirdcareerspodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you liked us, please give us a five-star review on wherever you're listening to us. It really helps us to get seen. Thanks for tuning in and exploring with us. We hope you will join us next time. And until then, I'm Eric. And I'm Danny. Cheers. Cheers.